Do you have your Bibles? If you have your Bibles, say yeah. yeah. Awesome. If you don't, shame on you. Today we're going to continue our series in Philippians chapter 3. Thanks, y'all. We're going to pick up today in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to read just verses 8 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11. Most of the time, this portion of scripture is taught right alongside what we spoke about and walked through together last week, verses 1 through 7. It's, it's this conversation that the Apostle Paul is having about his new revelation, new understanding of what the world really accounts for when it's weighed against the glory and weight of Jesus. And I broke the teaching up into two separate sections because I think it's important that we get some greater detail on each of these. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. It reads like this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The title of our message today is The Hard Road of Faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you this complete time to take complete authority to result in complete transformation of us. Let not these words be mine but yours. Amen. The big idea for today is this. Jesus should change your perspective, if you do it right, amen? Meeting Jesus should change your perspective. And when your perspective is changed after an encounter, after a revelation, after a meeting with Jesus, it should drive you to want more of Jesus. Now, originally when I was writing this message, the first time through in November, December last year, I had written the big idea down and I wrote, Jesus changes our perspective. And I wrote and invites us to want him more. But I changed it to the word drives us to want him more because that is what it really should be. You see, I think sometimes I, I fall into this trap where we write and we think and we view our relationship with God as so gentle, so invitational, it's almost as though Jesus is like, you can come if you want to, but if not, it's okay. But that is not the God I know. That is not the God I read in the Old Testament, and that isn't even the same Jesus who lays out some hard truths, whether people like it or not. And I wanted to be sure that as we have this conversation about really going deeper, no matter how difficult it may get, I wanted to make sure that we had the right perspective here to say not just that Jesus invites you to more, but if you do this right, he should grip your heart and drive you to want more. Yeah. You should be that kind of Christian who says the phrase, I just want Jesus, not I'll show up if I get an invite. But that 
is how most of us do it, don't we? We're dependent on Jesus taking the first step. We're dependent on him asking us out on a date. And he's really inviting you to take the first step yourself every day and to be the one who drives the car. And fellas, even to be the one who walks around and opens her door for her. Amen. Come on now. This is a conversation about what it means to really let the Lord transform you so that he can continue to transform you because you just can't stop getting more of Jesus. So today we're going to talk about three things we want to go after today. The first one, if you have your notebooks, um, in verse 8, we're going to talk about getting proper perspective. Verse 9, we're going to talk about getting righteousness. Verse 10 and 11, we're going to talk about going after Jesus more, more than you are right now. Because let me tell you this, even if you think you're all in, there's more. Oh, it's so good. But before we do any of these gets, talk about what we're going after, I think we should just talk about today. Let's talk about Palm Sunday. I was joking with Pastor Ty when he came in. He and I come from a, a, a faith tradition. Let me spin this around. Pet peeve. Um, we come from a, do you have one of those things where like your pens need to be a certain, am I? Okay, my bad. Um, toilet paper goes, never mind. Heathens, it's wet wipes. I don't know what y'all are doing. Anyway, back to the Bible. Pastor Ty and I come from a tradition where Palm Sunday is a big deal. Uh, one of the churches I attended for a long time was trained in ministry, would actually make Palm Sunday White Sunday. So the entire church would wear white. And, and I was early in recovery and living with my parents when the first White Sunday came around. And I bought a white suit with white shoes. I know, right? I know. And I was, ha and, and in a black church, that goes. But I was working a job at the time. That's it. White as snow. But I was working a job at the time that also required me to dress up, and I thought, just for funsies, um, I'd wear my church suit to work. And, and, I mean, I don't think I've ever been more heartbroken or humiliated. Those guys that I worked with were like, what are you, Pat Boone? Like, what are you doing, bro? And it, and it always had me thinking about the funny ways in which we, we as Christians do religion, right? We do ritual and practice. And White Sunday didn't, just didn't seem like a weird thing until I was at my desk and somebody walked by and was like, is that a Archangel Michael? You know, like, you just, you don't know sort of what you do until you get a a better perspective. So I think it's important that we talk about Palm Sunday, what today really is. It, it is not just white suits and, and palms that we wave. Palm Sunday represents for us the beginning of what we in the modern church would call Holy Week. Today is the day that we commem commemorate Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem. Today is the day that he was mounted on a colt, on a donkey, and that he rode into the city. And as he rode in, people stepped back and made a way for him, waving palm branches and laying them down below the feet of the donkey, crying out, you've heard the phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means, pray, save me. The Hebrew interpretation is very literally a cry to say, you are the one who can save me. 
But in that day and age, amongst people who spoke both Hebrew and Aramaic, Hosanna had come to be known as also a simple exhortation of adoration. If someone was to say Hosanna to you, it was as though they just said, you are my all in all, my everything. And as Jesus was riding in, everyone had assumed the proper posture, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it was a great beginning to his entrance to fulfill his mission. But if you know the story, the next six days didn't look the same. In fact, Jesus for us in the story of finishing his complete work, the last seven days, gives us a wonderful model of what truly going after God's will for your life could look like, which is sometimes it's going to start good. You ever receive a word from the Lord and you're like so full of fire, you're like, yes, God has spoken and I'm going to start a business making wreaths out of old tires. It's going to be glorious. And then you get your first critic that's like, a what? And who's going to buy that? And you, little by little, you get a little discouraged. Or life in general as you chase in after the Lord can just be difficult. Good days and bad days. And sometimes the people that cause the worst days for you are the ones who are charged with loving you the most, the best, the closest. And you go up and down and it's full of betrayal. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus, starting on Palm Sunday and throughout the Holy Week, actually gives us a good picture of what the hard road of faith really looks like. Can I say it simply? It is not easy to be faithful. It shouldn't be either. It really shouldn't be. It shouldn't be easy to be someone who doesn't belong here because you belong there. Yeah. It shouldn't be easy to be the set apart, the ecclesiastic, those whom he loves amidst a world doomed for sin. In fact, if you call yourself a Christian and this life of yours is really easy, watch out. I think it's important that we talk about what Palm Sunday really means. And what's good for us is that, as the apostle will show us here in the end, sometimes the road of faith gets so dark, it even, it even leads to death. And Jesus' mission is just that. Even though none of the disciples want to hear it or believe it, the mission is to die. And for us, that's what brings life. Yeah. And as the apostle writes this section of scripture to the beloved church in Philippi that he loves so much, he says to them, I want to be just like Jesus. But in order to do that, you've got to understand who Jesus is. Amen? So let's look at verse 8 real quick. Let's talk about getting a proper revelation, or as we say in our notebook, let's get some perspective here. Let's really understand this. Let me remind you, verse 8, it says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing knowledge worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. The B part, for his sake I've suffered the loss of how many things? All things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Now, this is good for us to read here, but I think I want to jump back for just a second and remind ourselves about how 
how the apostle is talking about gain and loss. What he says here is this rubbish phrase. And I want to read verse 7 just so you remember. What he says here in verse 7 to set it up is, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. And I want to ask you this right now before we go any further. What does Paul know that I don't know yet? Like, what is it that the apostle knows in his being, in the core of who he is, that allows him to say, you know all the good things in my life, all the good things in my life, they count for nothing when shining against Jesus Christ. And I, I, I want to know, what does he know? Because I still have some things in my life that are really shiny. Am I alone? You see how quiet you got? You're like, hmm, my pastor's a sinner. <laughs> see you? You got some things, right? We're both sinners. Every one of us in this room has got something that is really beautiful. And it counts as gain in our ledger book. And I'm not just coming after, like, secret sin, though we do that a lot. And so I can say that for just a moment. Many of us in this room have a thing that we know that we know is going to result in death if we live in that sin forever. We know we're called to repent. We know we're called to turn back. We know we're called to turn it around. We just keep telling Jesus, not yet. I mean, I will. I promise. But I just really like that right now. And so I don't mind talking to you about secret sin for a moment, because if that's you here today, here again is one more invitation for you to let that go, because he's calling you to do it. But beyond just the difficult, sinful things that many of us, most of us still hold on to, did you know it's also possible for you to have a shiny, beautiful, wonderful thing that you count as gain in this world that is good, but still distracts you from God? I'm going to just lay them all out here. Did you know that it's possible for you to have a relationship with your spouse that is detrimental to your relationship with Jesus? Did you know that many of us fall in love so deeply that we don't partner and become one flesh? We become subservient and worshipful, and our relationship is them on top. Whatever they say, I do everything for them. We deify our spouses. You know what I'm talking about? And it's good because you're married. And how could this be bad? But the truth is, is that anything that clouds your vision from Jesus is trouble. Here comes another hard one. Your kids. Your kids. Oh, man, we got to do this really well. Your kids deserve you exactly the way the Lord wants you, which is submitted to them and in authority over them, submitted to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in authority to your children, saying yes here, ready, and no here. Your children deserve parents who set rules and boundaries and say no because the Bible tells us that he disciplines those he loves and if you love them then discipline should be part and parcel to this but I just listened to a story on NPR and they taught the virtues of gentle parenting which essentially means my kid calls the shots yeah and, and I was like I hope my sons aren't in the car right now 
And it sounds funny for us to joke and say, I mean, of course, we wouldn't let our children call the shots. And still, many of us let our children. Yeah. So when they're fed up with the room, it's time for us to go. And, and when they don't want to eat their vegetables, we just don't eat vegetables anymore. I'm getting in the nitty-gritty for just a second, right? Some of y'all don't like vegetables now because your parents never fought back on these vegetables. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus is in the vegetables. Now, here's the deal. Eat your vegetables. I'm telling you this right now to say there are some really beautiful God-given gifts that are pure and perfect and a part of his will that we as humans, because of our fallen nature, can take even good things and make them bad because we elevate good things above our God. Amen? Amen. This is hard for us to understand sometimes because it's, so, it, it's just so easy for us to think that we're doing it well because this is what God wants. But I want you to understand that it takes cues. you got to take your cues from the Lord and rec- recognize that if, if anything else is in the way of him, then it, it's trouble. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying get rid of your kids. <laughs> Don't tweet it. Don't go home. <laughs> Don't be like, I went to church today. My pastor said, I'm done parenting. (laughs) I am telling you, examine this relationship. Every relationship, be they romantic relationships or friends relationships, spouse, children, work, life, substance, thing, person, place, whatever it may be, I need you to quickly and quickly and quickly examine and ask, is this have more gain for me than Christ? Because the apostle writes, he says, indeed, I counted everything as loss. What he knows that we don't yet know, he writes in verse 8, he says, I count it as lost because, you ready, of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Jesus. Put it on your plate just like this. Ready? Whatever you love, there's more in Jesus. And I mean like this. I can say this with all superlatives and I all hyperbole. Like whatever you love that feels good, that gives you something, engine joy, juice, goodness. Hey, it's something you wake up for. I want to tell you right now, there is something even better in Jesus Christ. You found your purpose and your calling at your job. And you finally, finally, thank you, love going to work. Can I tell you this? There's still more in Jesus. For the first time in your life. You found your rhythm going to the gym, and you do get up at 5, and you juice, come on, and you work out, come on, and you're finally seeing results, yes, and so you wear yoga pants, and you feel good. Still more in Jesus. Still so much more. You finally went to the therapist, finally started working through the stuff. Start letting them ask you big questions. Start answering some things that you knew you needed to answer and started to see some health in your heart. Guess what? That's good. This is still better. And and, and I know that we live in a postmodern, post-Christian world who will criticize me for saying what I'm about to say, but I say it every time. We believe that this Bible is inerrant, meaning it has no errors. Every word is perfect and it is true. 
We believe that this Bible is sufficient. So whatever you need, it's right here. And we believe that it is the word of God, meaning nothing else is more powerful than this. So when I tell you therapy's good, I mean therapy's good, but God is better. And if you only have a therapist, but you ain't got no Jesus, you will stand at the day of judgment with wonderful techniques for breathing and cognitive behavioral therapy, but you won't know him. And you'll be able to process that well as you say, wait, and he says, depart. There's more here. Amen? And I have to hit it every single time because we, we, we do think that this is, you know, good, but not enough. I meet people all the time and, they, you know, Pastor, I, I, want, I want more. And I'm like, How, how's your Bible reading going? Fine, it's going fine. I want more. And I'm like, no, seriously, how's your reading going? Well, I'm not reading. Well, start there. See how much more you want. God, I just, I, I, I just, Pastor, I don't feel like I hear God. Good, are you praying to God? No. It's a conversation. Start there. So when Paul writes this phrase, he says, I, I, I got to tell you, everything I had, it was great, but it was terrible when I compared it to Jesus. And I discovered that no matter what good I got from the world, it counted for nothing when I realized that in Christ, it was nothing more than loss. I might just say it like this. Nothing fulfills like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nothing. Not a broken heart that can be remedied by a new date. Preach that, my wife said. Not a, not a new job, not a new car, not a new house, not a bigger paycheck. They don't fulfill. You know this in your own personal life where you've had a conversation with yourself or with a friend and you've looked at your budget and you've said this word. If I could just make this, then... Everything would be fine. Have you done that before? You do your budget. You're like, I make 75. But you know, if I made 84, I'd be set. And then you get 85. And you know what your phrase? If I could just make 96. Because what the world offers you is fleeting. But what he offers you is eternal. And that's why Paul writes, I gave it all as lost because of the surpassing knowledge of Jesus. Now, I need you to understand that what he's talking about is knowledge of Jesus Christ is not merely book knowledge. And this is the other side of the Christian faith because many of us are experiential. Our faith is built on what we feel and what we experience in moments. We love it when it feels like the room is different when the worship team is praising and we're like, yes, all right. All of a sudden we get the tinglies and we're like, okay, now it's time to be Jesus filled, right? But there's a whole other side of the faith that hates that. Did you know that? You don't have to, I know you're here and you're just like, don't talk about me. There's a lot of us <laughs> believers who are experiential and a lot of us who are, who, are, who are academic. And our faith is primarily built on what we can learn about Jesus. And Paul is not talking about knowledge. He's talking about relationship. He says, I counted it all as rubbish just so that I might know him. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things. And I want to talk about relationship for a second, but I want, to, I want to clearly define the reason that we should have a relationship with Jesus, okay? 
We talk about having a relationship with Jesus, and I, and I want to get all the way through it to the end goal of having a relationship, because every relationship that you have in your life should have an end goal. With your children, it's to raise them in the way of the Lord that they might extend the legacy of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. With your spouse, it should be to be fruitful and multiply. Thank you, Jesus. All right. In your work relationships, it might be that you propel your career or propel the vision of the company. But in your relationship with Jesus, the goal is righteousness. So let's get righteous. Paul writes in verse 9, he says this, And I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law or works, what I do, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The real, tangible, meaningful result of what we're going after when we say religion is worthless, but relationship is what we're going after, the result of relationship with Jesus Christ is your righteousness. Ready? And nothing else. That's it. That's the end goal. And I have to say that, and I have to say it kind of starkly, because I want to tell you this. The world forever has been asking this question, why? Why church? You have anybody that finds out you go to church and they're like, what? What for? And then you're like, I, I was, I'm on the worship team. I don't know. <laughs> you ever had somebody ask you that hard question and you don't really have an answer for it? The world has always been asking this question. Why religion? Why Jesus? Why does it matter? And here's the real shame is that we, the church, and you know I'm always beating up on the church because I'm a part of it, but I'll just beat up on you too. We, the church, have done a terrible job at answering that question. We just really have, mainly because we don't know. Why Jesus? My parents went to church, right? Why Jesus? Because I feel guilty when I don't go. And so what we've tried to do is find ways to answer the eternal question of why that the world asks of the church, and we've tried to answer it in, in easier-to-understand terms, or what we've tried to do is, is relate to the world on the world's terms, okay? Rather than saying, why Jesus? Because without him, you will die in your sin. He is a perfect and holy God, and no sin can enter him, and he desires that you might spend an eternity there, but he will not compromise himself because you think you make the rules. That's why church. But you don't want to say that to your coworker, because that's your last day at your job. So what we do and what our churches do is we come up with beautiful slogans that say, we exist to meet Jesus so that we can live out our full potential. We exist to see the glory of God and find our purpose. We exist to, to meet him and change the world. And every one of those phrases that I pulled from a real church website this week, from my friends, don't worry. They actually sound really beautiful, don't they? But if you really look at it, we're missing it. 
You see, Jesus might write the mission statement of your church to say, they exist for me. That's it. I'm, I'm not here, Jesus might say, to help you reach your full potential. Right? Because your full potential is this. Pick up your cross and follow me. Be willing to die just like me. What we've done as a church, as a body of believers, is we've failed to understand the true merit of the relationship with Jesus. In the 90s, when everyone said it's not religion, it's relationship, the catchphrase was so cute, we bought into it. And we never asked, for what reason? And so when someone asks us, we don't know what to say, and our leaders tell us, just talk about purpose, talk about potential, talk about the good things that the world wants, and maybe they'll come to see Jesus. And that's what happens when you don't know Jesus, is you point people to know a Fake Jesus. You tell people Jesus exists for them. And he doesn't. We exist for him. We are the righteousness of Christ. We are his children. And he made us that he might expand his kingdom through us so that no one would be lost and no one would die. And you've been pointing them in a direction towards monetary success or purpose or finding a thing that they can do that makes them feel good and they're still going to die. I hope you don't mind if I push you this morning. Yeah. We don't know him. So when people say, who is he? We just make it up. Yeah. And they, they miss him. And Paul says, the point of the relationship is, is righteousness. And if they're going to ask you who he is, start by talking about who they're not. Right. Yet. Start by talking about who you were before. Start by talking about how he's done this thing in you and not what you've done with the help of him. Paul says, I counted his righteousness. I want this righteousness. Not the righteousness that comes from following the rules and playing by the book of the law. No, the righteousness that only God possesses, that he imputes on me when I trust him. Now, let's talk about it. This word righteousness, does it mean perfect? Does it mean perfect? Thank you, God. <laughs> right? No, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're counted as perfect. See the difference? Righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ means that even though you make mistakes today and tomorrow and will continue to do so, when the Father looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ and he still says, perfect. That's what Paul is after. And that doesn't come from book knowledge. That doesn't come from experience. That comes from relationship. Now, here's the pushback to you one more time, right? We, we not only don't know him well enough to articulate why, we also don't really care to know him. Most of us treat Jesus like he's the most important attendee at a networking event. Yeah. You've ever been in business, you know that sometimes there's parties that you need to go to, and you have to make small talk and get cards and build a business. Has anybody ever been in one of these meetings before, right? Scott's in a networking group. He goes every week. I was terrible at these. Anybody in here like me just have a real tough time with small talk? Anybody that's kind of a struggling introvert from time to time? Introduce yourself to me for the very first time right after church and watch how weird I am with you. 
I love you. I just don't know how to show it. My eyes are all looking around. I drink my coffee like it's going out of style. I just don't. I can't figure out what to do with my hands. I don't know. But you, you learn the skill set when you have to be in those environments, right? And so you make small talk. And you ask questions like, so what do you do? And where are you from? Tell me about your kids. And you start talking about where you might synergize your business ideas and opportunities for growth. And, and you make a plan to connect and bring in this. And you use phrases like low-hanging fruit and circle back, all those business terms that you think <laughs> are important will make you look like you know what you're doing, right? And then the relationship ends. And you get to go back to being yourself. And I think many of us have seen this Jesus thing in a very similar light, which is, I need to go to this event on Sunday morning. And I'm going to meet a bunch of people, and we're going to talk about some pretty superficial things. I'm hoping it doesn't get too deep. There's, a, there's one guy there i got to definitely meet, Jesus. He works uh, in a really tall building. And I've got some ideas that I want to pitch to him. At one in particular, it involves me being wealthy, and I'm hoping <laughs> that he and I can... I'm playing with you, but, but do you see how most of us are trying to figure out ways for Jesus to get on our team? Yeah. It's going to be really great. Jesus and I have been working on a deal together, and I, I want to break it to you. Jesus is not working on that deal. <laughs> no, he's probably going to bust that deal up. Do you know why? Because he's the deal. So if you meet him, that's the end of the planning, right? There's no strategy after that. It's just staying with him. Good part about Jesus, if you really do meet him at an event, is that you get to follow him around the party the whole time. No, I'm with him. I don't even, there's punch. I'll get it later. What are we doing, Jesus? You just get to be with him, and that's what he wants. You see, the world has told us, be polite, be separated, be different, be yourself. And Jesus says, be like me. So when we talk about the words follow, submission, service, giving in, surrender, it sounds anti-American. Good. We're talking about the kingdom, not the empire. Verse 10. Apostle says, oh, that I might know him. I, I, every time I read this, I, I just, I feel it. I just feel him like aching. And what's cool is like he knows him. Like he met him. He met the resurrected, glorified Jesus on the road to Damascus. He interrupted him and spoke through a blinding light and blinded him and repurposed his whole life. This is a man who should say, oh, I know him. But there's this longing in Paul. And he says, oh, that I might know him even more than right now. And he goes on, he says, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings, that I might become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might be resurrected. I think what the, the apostle is trying to do here is push you and I. Maybe what he's 
maybe what he's speaking to right now, this church and ours, is the pervasive spirit of apathy that is chasing after you even right now to the church or to the gathering or to the service. I want to be the kind of Christian, Paul might say, who just wants Jesus every second of the day. I just want to go after him like crazy. I'm sick and tired of being all in and then the next day I'm not. I don't want to be like that anymore. And Paul says, oh, that I might know him. And that is what Paul is inviting each one of us to make our cry. He doesn't want you to use the phrase, I've gotten to know him, because you're not done yet. Wow. He, he doesn't want you to use the phrase, I found Jesus, because he was looking for you. He doesn't want you to use the phrase, I'm, I met Jesus, because it's not supposed to be an encounter. It's supposed to be an enrapture. Paul's writing to each one of us and saying, you got to give up on the giving up of your faith. you got to quit quitting you got to go after this thing and understand all of the parts of him. There should be something, something burning inside of you. You said, Pastor, I want that. How does it work? Here's how it works. Not only are you never done chasing after him, but everything in him is far greater than you can ever imagine. There's nothing this world can give you that he can't best. And until you have a proper relationship with him that's based on that kind of a revelation that says he's good all the time, everlasting to everlasting, all in all, he's the wheel. Inside the wheel, he makes all things work. See, until you see him, you can't adequately love him. But once you see him and love him, you won't want anything else but him. And so you're here and you're like, I, I, want, him, I want him like that. I want to want him like that. Work your way backwards. Do you love him yet like that? Do you know him in your mind? Do you know him in your touch? Or do you adequately know him in your heart? Do you know who he is? Do you know his names? Amen. Paul says this. That I might know him, his person. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection, his power. And that I might become like him in his death, his pain. Ready? Those are the three things. We're going to work it through. He says, Paul says, I want to know his person, his power, and his pain. His person. Jesus invites you to know him as a tangible being. Our God is the only God, amen? But he's also the only God that sent himself in flesh to be like us. And because of that, you should be asking questions like, how tall was Jesus? Do you do that? I'm like, well, I hope he was like 5'8", like me, man. But he's probably beautiful and 6'3". 
The Bible tells us that, that Jesus walked and he was clothed in scarlet or purple robe, a robe reserved for royalty. The Bible tells us that Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. They carried the wealth that was gathered for him. The Bible tells us that he was anointed with oils and people were not afraid to pour out their life savings. I wonder what he smelled like. What was it like when he walked in the room, when he sat down and he looked you in the eyes? Do you ever wonder what color his eyes were? What was it like when he didn't just see you? But he saw you. And what must it have been like to have been embraced by him? When John laid back and rested his head on his chest and heard the beating heart of Jesus, what was that like? And when the woman with the issue of blood reached and pressed through a crowd that would call her ceremonially unclean and untouchable, and she just touched the hem of his garment, what was it like when he stopped the world for her affliction? and said, I care about nothing but you. You see, most of us, we just don't know his person yet, do we? Ready? It's a cheat sheet. And you should read it because he's so beautiful. Oh, and he loves you so much. And he'd stop the world right now just to sit with you. While you said, I done did it again, I messed up, and I'm a fool, and I'm a failure. And he said, not anymore, I'm here. And dad calls you righteous, perfect. Paul says, oh, that I might know him in his person, in his power. And because life can be difficult, that I might also know his pain. And our challenge today, church, is this. Easter's coming. And this room is going to be full. I'm going to challenge each one of you to invite two people to come because people come on Easter and we want them to hear the true gospel. But I don't want you to be sitting in these seats next to people who don't go to church at all, don't know him at all, are brand new to the faith, about to meet him for the very first time, or just kind of keep it like a networking event for Jesus and you be just like them. You're here now. The time is now for you to say, I count it all as rubbish, just that I might know you. So today, that's your invitation. That you might ask the Lord in this time of prayer right now that he would burn a new fire in your belly to know him, to seek after him, to know him in the fullness of who he is, not just the good days, not just Hosanna on Palm Sunday, but Telestetai, it is finished on Easter. That you might develop a real relationship with him and that righteousness might be the result. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, today, we want to be done with the superficial. Today, we want to be done with the apathetic. Today, we want to be done by keeping you at a distance and keeping these conversations with you shallow. God, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you break those things off our life that we might be soft, gentle, movable, like clay in the potter's hands. God, that you might search our hearts and know us and that we might come to know you and be changed because of it. Oh, that we might know you. 
Make yourself known here today. In Jesus' name, amen.